You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to the Projection Booth. This is your host, Mike White. And I've got a little bit of a bonus here. In a few weeks here, you're going to be hearing from Peter Maydeck about his film, The Changeling. But in the meantime, I wanted to share this little bit here where he's talking about a upcoming project called The Ghost of Peter Sellers. Why am I bringing this to you early? Well, there's currently an Indiegogo campaign going on right now, and it's only got about two weeks left, so I wanted to put this out there over the air, as it were, and let folks listen to this, and if you want... Go on over to Indiegogo, or we'll have a link via our website, projection-booth.com, where you can link right on over to the project and give them your hard-earned cash. And with no further ado, here is Mr. Madak himself. I read that you were working on a documentary about Peter Sellers. Is that true? Yes, it's true. God knows how long it's going to take me. But we just started it. We started doing it. It's a movie which was going to be my fourth movie after Negatives, Joe Egg, and Ruling Class. And it should have been a huge success, you know, because of Peter Sellers and that whole goon humor in England at the time. But unfortunately, the film turned out to be a complete and total disaster. And the film wasn't released at the end of it, although the film was completed and finished and mixed and delivered to Columbia Pictures. But there was some disagreement between uh, the producers and the studio of certain scenes wasn't shot, you know, and certain action scenes what was in the script, which wasn't promised, which was part of the film. And uh, it wasn't shot because, unfortunately, Peter Sellers missed so many days of the film uh, while we were in Cyprus and in the Mediterranean shooting. Uh, that, uh, you know, the weather turned bad and we couldn't complete those scenes, so some of those scenes were cut. And uh, so that's how all this kind of disagreement started. And in the middle of it, it was me uh, caught in it, like in a spider's web, because uh, I try to do everything to complete the movie as fast as I can. And uh, But I was accused by everybody that is the director's fault and is taking too much time and it, and it was none of that and so this documentary came up the idea of it and um, first I didn't want to know about it you know because I thought it was such a unhappy part of my life which I managed to bury and somehow my career went on after that and um, you know, so I, I didn't want to do it, but then I suddenly thought I'm crazy because there is a way, you know, without really um, um, trying to paint even a darker picture of Peter, because everybody knew how difficult he was through his other movies. And he always did the same kind of things of suddenly feeling sick. He doesn't feel well. He's got a heart condition. He can't shoot today, so that we don't shoot that day or we do something else. And this kind of continues through like 13 or 14 days of this film. And of course, it affects the entire movie. And I'm not blaming Peter because he was a great friend, but I mean, you have to be there. And every day you have to complete a certain amount of work, otherwise you get behind. And something has to suffer for it. It's always the film. And, uh, I mean, there have been articles and articles written about it, and 
So I started uh, on this crazy journey in May and went to England and I started interviewing people who were very deeply involved with the movie and asking very fair questions from them of what their memory was or what do they remember about it or what do they think went wrong. And uh, so I I did that in England and interviewed about 25 people, including two other directors who directed Peter in um, a film called Casino Royale, which was Peter Sellers and David Niven and Woody Allen and uh, uh, all all kinds of wonderful ladies and Orson Welles. And Peter just categorically refused to work with Orson Welles. He told the director, he said, I can't be in the same frame with him. You can't shoot me in the same frame. So he had that set of problems, which was exactly the same with me in Cyprus when we were on this boat, and we were trying to make the entire movie on real boats, which was completely insane. It's impossible to do that. But that's how my movie was set up through the the producers and everybody's knowledge. Before I even came on it, you know, that's how we're going to do it, because it's never been done like that. And we've got the first one. Well, you can't do that. So um, on Casino um, Royale, Peter refused to work with Austin Welles. On my movie, on the Mediterranean, uh, Peter one day just jumped into the boat, into a speedboat, and I ran after him because I knew something was wrong. And he started yelling and screaming at me, saying, I will never be in the same frame with Tony Franciosa, and you have to shoot me separately. So from that point on, all the scenes were with the two of them together, you know, but I had to shoot them separately because by then neither of them would appear with each other. Because by then Peter upset Tony so much and, 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 you know, so it's it's that kind of craziness. But but, But the wonderful thing about the documentary that some of the scenes which had happened behind the scenes were funnier than the movie itself eventually, if we ever finish it, lead to an incredible documentary about, and I purposely don't want to, um, you know, accuse Peter of everything. I mean, everybody knew what he was like and what his problems were going in, you know, but I want to make the movie about the love of making films and what happens on a film when something goes wrong And despite of everybody's great effort of trying to steer that right, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And there's nothing you can do to try to pull that film out of it being doomed. And um, unfortunately, many other directors experience on their various movies what it's like. And it's like, really, it's like a, a jumbo jet would hit an ice patch and it starts hitting. And, and, you know, you never know where you're going to end up. And, and that's, that was that movie. And uh, instead of it really being the greatest success of all time on, 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 from my kind of records, it become a total disaster. And I said, oh, my God, that's the film which never came out. And then, of course, it, it kind of affected my whole career at that time. But thank God, you know, I managed to make these other movies, Rome is bleeding and the craze and nothing heavy and the changeling and then uh, uh, some other wonderful things I did, you know, which uh, didn't 
surface that much, you know, but sometimes you make a film and it succeeds unbelievably well, and then sometimes it doesn't. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing to figure out what it is. What steers things the right way sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, you put your greatest effort into it, but despite of it, sometimes things don't succeed, you know? I mean, the same way, I mean, I have a thing about pirate movies, that, that uh, it's, it's a disastrous premise, and the only good pirate movies were the Errol Flynn and Douglas Fairbanks and the silent ones and years ago, you know? With the exception of the Johnny Depp, you know, because his movies are the only ones which were really were incredibly successful. I mean, Roman Polanski made a pirate movie that didn't succeed, you know. Harry Gilliam tried to make something which wasn't a pirate, was Man for La Mancha, you know. That didn't succeed because it, it, was, a, it, it was a disaster. Not because of him, but because of the weather conditions and sicknesses and on my movie everybody was getting seasick you know all the time because we were out at water all day long when we could film but the weather was good enough to film and people were kind of getting off the boat because they, they, they couldn't take the bad weather and uh, well so it's all that you know but it's all about making a movie so that's that's what the, the doc- documentary I think eventually it will be called the uh, the Ghost of Peter Sellers, because the original film was called Ghost in the Noonday Sun. And then one day I just thought, God, it would be great just to call it, because it is the Ghost of Peter Sellers. And, and uh, we were friends, we were great friends, and that's how I got involved in the film. And then, you know, then it turns on everybody, including me, on the film. But it's because of his difficulty of how he copes with his, acting or whatever problems he had that day, nothing to do with me, but with whatever relationship in his life broke up and, and stuff like that, you know. So it's, it's an all-round thing, you know, and I hope to God it will surface. I'm sure it will, but it's a, a long way yet before we... I still have to shoot in Los Angeles and also in New York. Some of the people, including Mr. John Heyman, who was the actual producer of that movie, and uh, have a wonderful chat, you know, uh, 42 years later, of what actually happened, and what do we remember, what do you remember, or why did you do so-and-so, why didn't you, you know, whatever one can bring up and talk about it. But it's nothing to accuse, but it is really to be done with the love of making movies of or something like that, which is could be so brilliant, could just go wrong and become a disaster. And it's kind of a fascinating subject, you know, to some people. And some people won't even know who Peter Sellers was today, or particularly the other character, Spike Milligan, who written all the goon shows, which actually made Peter famous while they were doing radio plays at the BBC, and it became an absolute legend, the goon shows, and it was a certain type of zany English humor. And when the Monty Pythons came along, they were inspired by the goon shows, which then become uh, the Monty Pythons. And it's important for people to know that, but on the other hand, you know, they will discover it while they're watching the documentary.
did I rewrite? You worked with at least one of the Pythons. Did you work with uh, yes. Graham Chapman? Yes, I did with Graham Chapman, you know, when I did uh, uh, the odd job. It was Graham Ch- Chapman, Diana um, Quick, Simon Williams, and a wonderful comedian called David Jason Jason, who is incredibly famous in England in, in his television. Genius, absolute genius. And so that was an incredible experience too, uh, for me, anyhow. And uh, but that's when I worked with Graham, and that's how I knew Graham, and that's how I met all the other Pythons. And uh, John Cleese actually came to visit us in Cyprus while we were shooting the Peter Sellers movie because they were great friends. And uh, I forgot about it until I ran into him in a restaurant about 15 years ago. John said, don't you remember, I came to visit you, you know? So I would love to interview him as well. So that hopefully, maybe some of the Pisons may be in it. I hope Terry Gilliam will be in it because he adored particularly Spike Milligan so much. And uh, Mel Brooks may be. But it's not because I need names, you know, because it's not because it needs celebrities, but because these were people who have a deeply involved with Peter on some level. And if they have a very ironic and uh, incredible story about him, it would be lovely to record that. And somehow between all these interviews and between the old film, which I will be able to show bits and pieces of it, intercut with my commentary and, and interviews and stuff. And and, uh, and then there'll be lots of stuff about the 60s and uh, Peter, some amateur footage of Peter, things which, you know, so it would, be, it would be incredibly informative because what I wanted to do that everybody you meet in this documentary, whether it was my agent at the time or Michael Caine's agent or Peter Sellers' agent, I was going to explain about it, of who these people were and what they meant to our world, to the film business at the time. You know, and and because it starts in the 60s, I mean, we made the movie in 73, but it all roots back into the 60s and the change of London and King's Road. I mean, I was shooting on King's Road three, four weeks ago, talking about what it was like and about... The restaurants which changed English cooking, which was this incredible English, Italian, Tuscan cooking and stuff like that. And so it was all about that. It sounds fascinating. Those kind of behind the scenes stories and documentaries about one particular film and the time that it was around and everything that just is right up my alley. So this sounds terrific. Yeah, so... I hope, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's impossible to leave it alone because all kinds of accidents happened uh, when suddenly certain people turned up from the past, which were long forgotten, you know, and they happened to be in the same pub that they haven't been for 50 years when I'm shooting this documentary on Peter. Uh, and he says, what is this thing you're doing, you know, and, and I said, I said, well, who are you? And he tells me his name. I said, oh, my God, I'm Peter Benak. Don't you remember? Boom, 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 you know. Vital key to some of the information in the documentary. I didn't even know he was still alive. But I quickly shot him, you know. 
but it was a total coincidence, accident, and and uh, it will take a, 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 a lot of work, you know, because once all the shooting is done, then the editing and then the writing of the script and uh, and all that, and I mean, I have a very strong storyline in a way, following my own story of how I got involved in that picture, but then. There's just one element of it, you know, but then there's the 60s of London and, and everything else which comes into it. Now, is that taking up most of your time or are you uh, trying to... Oh, no, it, is, it, it isn't, you know, because uh, we did half of the shooting and we're now posing to get the other half done around November, October, November. And then there'll be another pose and then... Meanwhile, we're setting everything up to prepare this kind of impossible task of start to interviewing and editing and changing and editing and saying that's not good enough. We got to go the other way, and then really trying to figure out what you know because this documentary is a trial and error. The whole thing, and I don't know because I've never done one, and I always had a script which one was following, you know, but this time it's not. And it's incredibly exciting to do something like that, which hasn't got that structure of filmmaking, which I have grown up for 50 years of my life, if not more. You know what I mean? Which was the traditional, conventional, but brilliant way of making movies, you know, like David Lean and people like that. But uh, it's, 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 it's a different way of making movies. It's a completely offbeat, doing it from the left side. And uh, it's incredibly refreshing to do that. And unfortunately, all the interviews I have, to, have to, I have to do myself because I'm the only one who's been there, who's left alive from that period. A part of John Heyman, who's the producer of it, and then some of the crew members, some of the actors who have interviewed, but it shoots off in different directions suddenly because then I'm interviewing an actor friend who was incredibly famous in the 60s, 70s, 80s, but he was a vital part of Joan Littlewood Theater, which was the theater role in Stratford East. But then I wanted to go there and interview Maury Melvin there at the theater because I wanted to show to the audience of who Joan Littlewood was, what were the plays she had made, how important she was to British theater. And, you know, so it suddenly just shoots off into a different direction, which I think will be great because it, it's not just about Ghost in the Noonday Sun or the madness of Peter Sellers, who we all loved. Because with that madness, it's very important to note that comes the genius, because he couldn't have been performing like that if he didn't have that complicated nature. Yeah, it has to be so strange for you to shift gears so much to do a documentary, but then also doing a documentary that's so personal to you. Yeah, it is, it is. And at times it becomes became very upsetting, depressing, because you say, God, you know, um, what am I doing? I'm back here in Cyprus and on the Mediterranean on a boat because I went on a boat just to explain 
what it takes shooting in the water, what happens when you pull out from the harbor and you want to film specific scenes. But so part of it was very hard, but on the other hand, it was very refreshing because at that result, at least I can tell the real story now. If anybody's interested, then they may not be. You never know. I'll buy a ticket. I hope it will come out at cinemas, you know, or if it goes on HBO. It doesn't matter as long as it is seen. And and uh, But I have to reiterate, again, it's also done with uh, the, the, the love of Peter and Spike Milligan, who were geniuses. But at the, t- at the same time, they, they were very difficult, if not impossible, you know, and I mean, Blake Edwards could protest to that, you know, with his Pink Panther movies. And, you know, everybody had very difficult times with Peter. But that's how he was, you know, and hysterically funny at the genius at the times. Well, Mr. Maydeck, this has been a real pleasure talking to you. I really can't thank you enough. Long, long interview. It has been a hard day's night, and I have been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a log, but when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel all right. You know I work all day to get you money to buy you things. And it's worth it just to hear you say you are going to give me everything. That's why I love to come home. Because when I get you alone, you know I feel okay. When I'm home, everything seems to be right. When I'm home, Feeling you, holding me, tight, tight. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a log. But when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel all right.